0: Hello, and welcome back to Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. We are going to stay for this episode in Spain. But first, I have to beg your indulgence while I correct an error that I made in the last episode. I referred to the Roman presence in Córdoba as going back to 169 before the Common Era. But actually, I said Common Era and therefore it made no sense that if the romans first got there in 169 how could there be a forum in the 130s it makes sense if i said correctly before the common era and then one of many kind listeners reminded me that most of the world says bc and ad so why am i avoiding that terminology that is so widespread and the answer is fairly simple it has to do with both political correctness on the one hand, but on the other hand, just respect for the diversity of humankind. AD stands for Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And there's an awful lot of people on this earth for whom Jesus is not the Lord. So while accepting the use of the Christian calendar, many of those people, whether Jews, Muslims, or others, prefer to use the common era, to refer to the period after the birth of jesus and before the common era or bce for the period which is otherwise known as bc now why would bc be bothersome to anyone well the simple answer is that christ is greek for messiah and there are many many people in the world for whom jesus was not the messiah or the lord so out of respect for all those people and not wanting to trample on anyone's feelings, or trying to make up a new calendar, I just used the forms BCE and CE when I remembered to do so. And in this particular case, I apologize again, I confused the BCE with the CE. In any case, we're going back to Cordoba for a minute, because... Last week we talked about the rise of Cordoba and how in the year 1000 it was the biggest city in the world and it was known as the ornament of the world, etc., etc. What I may not have mentioned last week was that in 929, Abdurrahman III... Formally declared Cordoba as a seat of the caliphate, thereby setting up a rivalry with more Orthodox Muslims all over the world. And we see even today what rivalries between and within the Islamic nation can do. Cordoba was actually sacked by Berbers from North Africa in 1013, and it was conquered by the Almoravids in. 1086 before being finally annexed in 1090. Now, if you'll remember, last week I talked about three different tracks for approaching Spanish history, and I probably never identified what those three tracks are, so I want to do that now and say that first there is the Christian track, the people who were descended from the Romans who were Roman Catholic and who eventually subsumed and converted the Visigoths who conquered and ruled over what is modern Spain. Then there's the Muslim track, which we looked at the beginnings of last time, when the Muslims first arrived in Spain in 711 and eventually conquered the entire Iberian Peninsula with a little bit of space left for fleeing Christians in the far north of what is today Spain. And then there's the Jewish track. And we didn't talk about this explicitly, but as I have said before, everywhere in the Mediterranean world where there were Roman ports and Roman rule, there were Jewish communities. So there were Jews in Spain since at least the time of the Romans, and the number waxed and waned, but certainly was quite large, especially in Cordoba, in the year 1000. Now, what then happened in Spain is probably as complicated as anything that ever happened in the Balkans, which is why I warned you last time that Spain only superficially seems to be simpler and more clear-cut than the Balkans. In reality, it's not. And part of the reason for that is that during the period of Islamic rule that technically lasted from 711 to 1492 in one part or another of the Iberian Peninsula... There were different groups of Muslims who ruled in different ways. And there were two particularly destructive groups of Muslims in the 11th and 12th centuries. First were the Almoravids, who came from North Africa, and then were the Almohads. These invading Muslims from North Africa were... Basically, fundamentalists. They were Puritans, and they thought that the Umayyad dynasty had gone much too far in cultivating friendly relations with both Jews and Christians, even though the Quran expressly commands muslims to treat the other peoples of the book with respect etc etc the north africans were also uncomfortable with the level of material prosperity the emphasis on scholarship on poetry they thought it was decadent as has so often been the case in history extremist fundamentalist group Present a danger and sometimes a military danger. And actually, these two groups between them certainly brought about the death of Cordoba and the caliphate that had been declared there in 929. They did not bring about the end of Islamic rule in Spain, although, effectively, and this is true for the most part, during the period of the Almoravids and the Almohads the nature of Muslim rule in Spain was fragmented into much smaller units called taifas. And they went all over the Iberian Peninsula, north, south, east, west. But they were not united in the same way that the province of Al-Andalus had been for several centuries in sort of the golden age. Now, before we get much further historically I have a couple of general comments that will help prepare us for the complexities that are about to follow. First and foremost, when we talk about Spain, Germany, Italy, France, we see a place on the map in our minds, and it's usually a place on the map that we first learned in elementary school or in high school. But many of us forget that These country names and borders and maps are very fungible, they're fluid, they change with time. Neither Germany nor Italy as we know them today even existed 200 years ago. Both were a collection of tiny kingdoms and duchies and territories and all sorts of other things, not necessarily ruled by the people who are today called Germans or Italians. Both countries came into something resembling their present form in the second half of the 19th century and not before. Spain and France came into something like their modern form much earlier than Germany and Italy, but actually I learned while doing research for this that Spain did not fully become a unified country until early in the 18th century, although by the time... It finally got all the Jews and Muslims out of Spain. It was a united dual monarchy of Castile and Aragon, the the famous couple Ferdinand and Isabella, the power couple of their age. But we're skipping ahead, and I don't want to skip the years between the fall of Córdoba and the fall of Granada in 1492. What happened in between those years is quite important. It may surprise many of you to learn that the 11th century, the 1000s, was a very busy century for European history, and a lot of Europe as we know it today emerged or began to emerge in this very turbulent century. We think of the Dark Ages as quiet. This was probably the early Middle Ages, but it certainly was long before the Renaissance, long before the voyages of exploration. It was definitely pre-modern Europe, and among the things that happened in the 11th century were the Norman Conquest of England, whereby Normans, who were originally Vikings from the far north of Europe, who settled in the northwest of France and lived there for several centuries, became Christian, learned French, became Latinized somehow, conquered England in the Battle of Hastings in 1066, and gave birth to the language that I'm speaking in today. That language is a direct result of the Norman invasion of England, which was an invasion of German-speaking peasants by French-speaking overlords. And our language today is a combination of both those languages. Also in the 11th century began the Crusades ...began a long historic conflict between Islam and the West, although one of the Crusades was more directed against the Orthodox Church and its splendors in Constantinople. Also in the 11th century began the first serious victories of a 400-year-long process in Spain called La Reconquista, the reconquest of the Iberian Peninsula by Christians... So in the rest of this episode, we're going to look at two other cities in Andalusia, which have significant Jewish histories. One of those cities is Granada, and the other is Sevilla. And we're going to look at them in sort of the order in which they were important for Spanish Jewry, which means Seville first. Once Cordoba was sacked, Seville became the capital of one of the most powerful of the many taifas that were all over the Iberian Peninsula. And it was certainly the principal city for Muslims in Spain from at least 1023 to 1091. In that year, there was a Christian incursion led by Ferdinand I of Castile that showed how weak these Muslims were militarily. And the king of Seville began to pay an annual tribute to the king of Castile, basically making his Taifa a vassal state of Castile. From the late 11th century until the middle of the 12th century, the Taifas were united briefly by the Amoravids. But in 1149, this unity ended when Sevilla was captured by the Almohads, the other group of these Puritan invaders from Morocco. Finally, Ferdinand III captured Seville in 1248, and when he entered the city of Seville, it was the Jewish population there who gave him the keys to the city, and those keys were inscribed in Hebrew, Latin, and Castilian. When Ferdinand III died sometime later in 1252, he was buried in the old Almohad Mosque there, and his tomb is engraved in Arabic, Hebrew, Latin, and Castilian, a language that he and his successors would work very hard to make the language of the entire Spanish-speaking world. Now, I want to say a few words about modern-day Sevilla and what you find there. Sevilla is, roughly speaking, 100 miles downriver on the same Guadalquivir as Córdoba, It's much closer to the Atlantic. So it was the principal port for all the voyages that built the Spanish world empire. The voyages to the Americas, the voyages to Africa, to Asia. They left from the port of Sevilla. So even though we think of Sevilla as an inland city, it's on a river and it's close to an ocean in the same way that Portland, Oregon is. When you visit Sevilla today, there's a tiny Jewish museum much smaller than the Casas Farad in Cordoba. But there is a much larger Jewish community than the one in Cordoba. And it's an extremely interesting community in the sense that there is an old Juderia in the center of town with narrow streets and as picturesque as the one in Cordoba, The main difference being that in cordoba there are lots of bars and cafes and restaurants and even city squares named after jewish heroes like maimonides you don't see any of that in sevilla there is an orthodox jewish community that rarely has enough people for a minion which is the required jewish prayer quorum of 10 adult males when my group visited sevilla recently It was the first time in about six months that there had been enough men for them to take out the Torah scroll and read it on a Saturday morning, and boy, were they happy. My group also went to visit with the other half of the Jewish community there. They went for Friday night services to the so-called progressive Jewish community, which is much larger, much younger. I did not join in this excursion, but I'm told reliably by good, observant people— that this community included same-sex couples, single parents. It was very diverse, tended to skew younger, and the president of it was an American woman from Des Moines. So like so many Jewish communities, however large or small, there is less than full unity there. And I met in the Orthodox synagogue a relatively young doctor, maybe late 30s, early 40s, who had recently immigrated from Venezuela. And I asked him if he knew anybody in the liberal Jewish community. He said, no, we don't talk to each other. So that's something where work needs to be done, I would say. And it's also a city which leans less in its appeal to tourists on what's called sometimes euphemistically in Cordoba as traditional Sephardic foods you don't see that on any menu in Sevilla although I'm sure that the percentage of people in Sevilla with Jewish blood is every bit as large as the percentage in Cordoba all right next episode we're going to talk about Granada and the final expulsion of Jews and Muslims from Spain and the reunification of Spain early in the 16th century a process which made it the largest and richest empire in the world for at least 150 years. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you.